Well, good evening. Um, we are going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 to 14. I promise I'm not trying to delay the ending of our series in Corinthians. We've been there for some time and we only have a couple sermons left, but I felt led to preach out of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Um, just like um, people need um, checkups periodically when you go to the doctor, you know, your doctor wants you to come in periodically and, you know, get a blood workup. Um, I know, you know with having a newborn, uh, Vera's got so many appointments and doctors from the hospital are calling and checking up on things. Hey, I'm just calling to check up on the baby. How are things going? Because um, uh, we need to keep those vital things in our body in check so we're not sick or worse. And it's very much so true in our spiritual lives. Um, we're not just, you know, I'm, I'm saved and that's the, that's the end of it. That's not it at all. Um, we have to do spiritual checkups. We have to take inventory. We have to take account um, of our hearts, taking account of our minds. Where am I? Where do I need to grow? Where, where does the Lord um, you know, need to grow me? What things do um, I need to change? And I always feel, I think, like preaching a sermon like this coming out of summer and into fall because summer, you know, you're all over the place. You're traveling. You're doing this. You're doing that. And, and the end of summer, the beginning of the fall semester season, it's a great time to do that very thing and say, okay, Lord, I don't want to waste um, this season of life here. It's good for seasons to be different, but coming into the fall, getting back into work, your rhythms of life, how am I going to make uh, the fall uh, count? I don't want to be run by my life. I want to run my life, right? And it doesn't feel that way a lot of times. And so if we don't do a spiritual checkup, we'll get to Christmas and go, Oh goodness, where did I did I grow? Did I was I faithful or did I just kind of try to put things on cruise control and I was running on empty the whole time? So that's that's really what's going on um, in Deuteronomy here. So look at it with me in chapter four, verse nine. It says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So Moses is um, speaking to the people. This is like his last big grand, you know, say so to all the Israelites. He's at the end of his life. And if you remember the story back in Numbers, um, out of aggravation and anger, uh, Moses does not wait for the water to come from the rock. He whacks it twice. And for doing it, God said, you didn't trust me. And because of that, you can't come into the promised land. That had to be, you know, like a bullet through the heart for this man who had led these hard-hearted, difficult people for so long. And here he's literally on the cusp of going into the promised land. And the Lord says, no, you cannot go into the promised land. So Moses knows Joshua is going to take over. So Moses... Uh, gives kind of this farewell address. So Deuteronomy is just recapping a lot of things. And, and what he's doing is saying, look, this is what matters most. That's really Deuteronomy. 
This is what matters most. These are the things you've got to keep before your eyes if you're going to go into the land and thrive as God's people, which boiled down is love and obey God. That's Deuteronomy. That's the whole Bible really boiled down. It's, it's love and obey God. And as much as that's true and plain, you and I are really good at not loving and obeying God. Um, I, maybe not you, I'm wayward. I get really wayward. You think about the Israelites and their wilderness experiences. How many times do they doubt God? How many times do they disobey God, even though God was so plain in His instruction, even though God was so obvious in His goodness and power? Uh, you and I have kind of this bent, this natural bent in us to disobey and miss prioritize God. And it's just what you call a sinful condition, isn't it? So, so Moses has to say something really useful. Like, what's the most important thing I could say to these people that I'm not going to lead anymore? Like, what do they need to hear? And Moses says, this is the most important thing for you to hear. He says, only take care. Only take care. Keep your soul diligently. So it means guard your heart. It means pay close attention to your own soul. You've got to watch over it. And he doesn't even say just do that. He says do so diligently. And you know what's so interesting about this word diligently um, in the Hebrews? It's used in our English language as might in 2 Kings chapter 23 to describe um, King Josiah. It says in 2 Kings 23, 25, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might. So this is interesting. You're seeing, you say, Josiah was a great king because he really put himself into knowing and loving God. He did it with his might. So the same thing is being said here. If you and I would be kept in this life for God, we must be ever so careful of our own souls and we must do it not part-time, not sometime. We must do it with all our might. That's what Moses says to the people. If we aren't diligent to keep our souls... You and I will forget, Moses teaches us here, number one, the fear of God. If we aren't diligent to keep our souls, we will not remember the fear of God. In verse 10, it says how on the day that you stood before the Lord, God's recounting what happened. The day you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on earth. So if you, if you remember the story, if not, I'll do recap. They're saved up out of Egypt. Remember that? And God calls all of the Israelites, tells Moses, bring them all to the base of, of Mount Sinai. And at the base of Mount Sinai, they get really this beyond words, I can't describe what they would have saw. What they saw was um, God came down like fire on the mountain. 
The mountains wrapped in black smoke. And, and Exodus tells us there's smoke like a kiln and fire going up to heaven. The mountain shakes. There's a trumpet blast. And the trumpet blast, it says it gets louder and louder. Can you imagine this trumpet getting piercingly loud? And it says that God is speaking to them in thunder. So apparently it seems Moses can hear the audible voice, but to them it's but thunder. And even after God says to Moses, don't let the people touch the mountain, because if they touch the mountain, I'm going to kill them. And Moses said, yes, I've already set that up. He says, okay, make sure you tell the people don't touch the mountain or I'll break out against them. This is a, this is a wildly, I'll call it awful, dreadful thing for them to behold. There would have been nothing like it. They're trembling. They say to Moses, Moses, you talk to God from now on. We don't want to do this. You go talk to Him and you can relay the message to us. That's how incredibly dreadful and just, just terribly awesome God was in this moment. They couldn't take it. And you have to ask yourself, why did God present Himself like this? Did God just want to flex His muscles and say, look, I'm awesome? No, partly. I think so. But here's, here's really why, if we look in Exodus chapter 20, it tells us, 2018, exactly why. It says, now when, the, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They think they're going to die. And here's what Moses says. Do not fear, for God has come to test you. Here it is. That the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. That's why God did it. So the people would learn not to sin against Him. So there's two kinds of fears I want us to explore here in understanding this. This first kind of fear is a really good kind of fear. It's the fear of God. And this first kind of fear that Moses is talking about that they need to learn, it's, it's something like um, an extremely serious, holy reverence for who God is. Okay? God is holy. God is powerful. God is good. God is right. God is above all. God is creator. I am creature. I am a dot in His universe. I am water in His hand. And I see that. And because I see that, I dare not transgress that God. I can orient my life around that God because I see Him for who He is, and I respect what He is, and I love what He is, and it teaches me how to be me. That's what God wants for them. Now, there's the other kind of fear that God does not want for them. That's the kind of fear that recognizes that same God has raised His hand against me, not to draw me in as a child, but to crush me as an enemy because I have not paid Him the holy reverence He deserves. I have not obeyed Him. I have not loved Him. And now the fear of judgment is upon me, the fear of being judged, which I deserve. Somehow I thought in my human pride, I could be a creature in God's created world and do what I wanted to do. I thought somehow I was not accountable to this God. It's very much so like the imagery that um, you get in Isaiah 
when Isaiah gets the vision from the Lord, he sees the smoke fill the temple. He sees the robe of God cover the temple. He sees the seraphim. And what does, Mo, what does Isaiah say in that moment? He says, woe is me. I am undone or I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. In other words, when you really get a picture and a vision of God, it gives you a picture and vision of yourself. And when you get a picture and vision of yourself, you realize just how wonderful and above all things God is and just how sinful and and, and deserving of judgment you really are. It brings all of life into perspective when you see God for who God is. Now, God would extend mercy and grace to those who would turn to Him um, in the beginning of of Luke's gospel, uh, when Mary's singing, you know, her song, it says, in his mercy, who is mercy for? It's for those who fear him from generation. Not afraid of him in the sense that he's coming after me, but I fear him because by God's grace, I see God for who God is. And because of that, I can orient my life in the way it should be around this God. I, I really believe that our passage here Um, cries out, don't you think, to 21st century America. Because there is no fear of God. Not the good kind, not even the bad kind of being afraid of His judgment. Not in government. um, Not in schools. Not in the public square. Not in the home. I would even go as far as to say not in the church. God seems to be this Um, big blob of silly putty and I can just rework him and get him to approve of my lifestyle and my choices and how I want to do things and the sexuality I want and the way I want to spend my time and my money and he's just there like a genie to bless me and approve of me. For years and years, um, they, they leveled it a few years ago, but for the longest time, down way to closer to Jordan Lane on, on University, there was this church right across from UAH, and they had this big sign up, and it said, God's not mad at you no matter what. Passed that a thousand times. God's not mad at you no matter what. If only we could hear the Hebrew writers say this, For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And that should make your hair on your arms and your neck stand up. So the great day is coming. Right? And the living and the dead cannot hide, and all will be judged. Now, here's the good news the good news is the cross of Jesus satisfies the wrath of God. Praise, praise God, He sent Jesus to experience that, that wrath, to experience the bad kind of fear on Calvary. Jesus knew what it was like to have the fist of the Father against Him. And as as the prophet Isaiah says, the Father did what? He crushed His Son so that you wouldn't be crushed. And so I wouldn't be crushed. Jesus on the cross received the wrath of God that would come from Mount Sinai so that you and I could experience the life, blessing, and peace 
on Jerusalem, on top of that mountain, in that city. So, so friend, flee to Jesus for salvation from eternal damnation. Flee to Jesus for justification in God's courtroom. Flee to Jesus for shelter for all the wrath of God that will be unpoured, outpoured on the ungodly at the end of time. And I, I think it's got to be true that we're living closer and closer to the last days when such a thing will happen. Turn to Jesus and know that you're kept in the shelter of Christ. But if you know you're kept in the shelter of Christ, then fear God. If you really, really have seen the awfulness and dread of God because His law condemns you, and you know that He has saved you by the mercy of the blood of His Son, you will live a life of fear, of holy reverence and obedience of diligently guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So it's plain that we've yet to really see the gospel as good when we don't live in righteousness and holiness. It's plain we've not really got a vision of Mount Sinai. Because if we did, we would live with the utmost diligence and might that we're called by grace to live in Jerusalem. The fear of God is a grace Because it shows me how helpless and hopeless my soul is if it weren't for some kind of amazing mercy. And yet that amazing mercy was provided in the person and in the cross of Jesus. So walk in the grace of the Gospel, fearing the Lord who spared you from a terrible end. But I want you to see this at the same time that Moses draws out. There is a relationship that can't be denied between the fear of the Lord and the Word of the Lord. The fear of the Lord and the Word of the Lord. So if we're not diligent to fear the Lord, we won't be diligent either to listen and obey the Word of the Lord. Verse 10, he says, How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth. And down in 13, it says, He declared to you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And He wrote them on two tablets of stone. So obviously the Ten Commandments is the first of, you know, you just that represents the entire Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's, it's everything God said to the people. Here, if you really fear Me, what are you going to do? You're going to love what I say, and you're going to do it. And it's, it's, um, it's sad if you go down to Deuteronomy 5, so just a couple, just the next chapter from where we are, God says this to Moses in Deuteronomy 5.29, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and keep my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. I think that's such a powerful telling verse because God knows it's not going to happen. He says, oh, that they had a heart. What happens? Well, the big, the big powerful God at Sinai, you know, we've cooled off. You know, I want to do what the other nations are doing. I've got my own life to live. I don't have time to be, you know, obsessing over what the priest has to teach and what the Word of God says. So all that dissipated and they became like the other nations. And in becoming like the other nations, they perished. So see that, friend, as you come into a new season of life 
the fall of 2022. The fear of the Lord keeps me mindful of the Word of the Lord, and the Word of the Lord is life. The Word of the Lord is life. You know, you delight in physical food, don't you, when you're hungry? Ugh, there's no question about it. You, you make whatever decision you got to make to find some food. You're out, you're trying to be frugal, and you're starving. Well, I'll spend $7 on this because I'm hungry. And your hunger has a way of, of controlling you, doesn't it? Friends, so it should be the same way in our spiritual lives. We, we need to see, and the fear of the Lord keeps us mindful of just how bad we need the sustenance of the Lord to endure and to remain faithful. You know, Psalm 119 is long, but you should read the whole of Psalm chapter 119 if you haven't, because the whole chapter is just on how central the Word of God is for the Christian. Psalm 119.9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Friends, the word it teaches you, the word corrects you, the word encourages you, the word comforts you, the word nourishes you, the word strengthens you, it counsels, it gives wisdom, it keeps you for all of life. So take that, take that back to Jesus, bring that into this side of the cross. What, is, what does John say about Jesus? Jesus is the Word of God. That means that everything that there is to know about God, everything that is good, everything that it means to walk in the fear of the Lord, if I knew this Jesus, oh, I would know what it looks like. And it's even better than that. The Bible tells me if I trust in this Jesus, I'm not just going to know Him externally, but the Word of God would be internalized by His Spirit. So I can be kept in the Word and the fear of the Lord because the person of Jesus is inside of me. That's amazing. So again, turn to Jesus to flee the wrath of God. He is life. Friends, we are kept by the power of the Word of God at work in us. And you say, well, that's great, but I'm just feeling blah today. I've been feeling kind of blah for a long time. Philip Henry, the father of Matthew Henry, Matthew Henry is a very famous commentator. You've probably seen his commentary online for free. You know, I think it's just public domain anymore. But his father, Philip Henry, a wonderful man of God, and he never got to preach because he was, you know, kind of on the outside. He wouldn't submit to, you know, the monarchy, and he wouldn't, you know, use the Book of Common Prayer. So he was a wonderful teacher preacher. But basically, I love Philip Henry because you wouldn't have a Matthew Henry without the parenting of Philip Henry. Um, but Philip Henry, you know, once said, if, if, if that's what you are, if you're cold, what do you do? Go towards the heat. Sit by a fire. And, and if you're cold, what else do you do? Start moving. And if you're cold, what else do you do? You stay in community for the warmth that comes from other bodies. You, you, you see, the, the Word is, is, is the place to go. And you might be cold, and you might be dry, and you might, you might feel just, just kind of used up. But if you go to this thing, and if you go to Christ, you will find that He has a heat that can re-enliven anything and anyone. And if you find, if you start obeying and you start resisting the flesh and you start serving, you'll find more warmth. And you find when you do so in the context of the church and you're doing it with other believers, you'll find you'll get even hotter. 
So friends, just start obeying. Go to Christ. Fear Him. Obey Him. So question, are you in your life right now diligent or are you distracted in your spiritual life? Are you diligent or are you distracted? Okay? Now let's go back to what Moses said. You must guard your heart diligently. That's a lot of doing. Which means what? It's not going to happen. This semester, I killed it. I don't know. I witnessed to 63 people. I prayed an hour every day. I, I mean, it was amazing. I don't know how that even happened. No. It happens when we labor for the Lord and His power. So friends, plan to walk with God. Plan to love um, the gathering of the saints on Sundays. And I'm not saying plan to, plan to come hear me, Chad. Like, I get it. You probably get tired of my style of preaching at some point. Probably get tired of the sound of my voice, my face. That's fine. But believe God has something to say to you. That's why you show up. Right? There's going to be some off notes sometimes. Alright? We've all done that. There's going to be some funny chords. Guess what? It's not why we show up. We show up because God has something to say. So I really want to encourage you, um, stop, stop seeing Sundays as I, I'm supposed to go to church, but start living with anticipation. You know, Lord, what do you want to say to me? God, what are you going to do Sunday? Well, what sin are you going to reveal? What truth are you going to start? What, how are you going to grow my faith this Sunday? Uh, secondly, this semester, um, and we've been talking about, we're starting uh, our systematic theology class on Wednesday nights. We're starting with uh, the doctrine of God, the existence of God. And uh, Chris is going to teach his first one. And I promise you, he's been working his fingers to the bone studying. And he's excited to just talk about God with you. Be there. It's afforded to you to grow and stay warm in that way. What about a discipling relationship? What about meeting with someone for coffee before or after work or a Saturday morning? What's your plan to, to be in the Scriptures every day this semester? To pray. Well, you know, it'll just, it'll just happen. But it won't. But it won't. So guard your heart diligently, church. We have to add on to that because Moses adds on to that. Um, if you go back to verse 9... In the second half, he says, um, you do all that stuff, keep yourself diligently. But then he says, make them known to your children and your children's children. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So it's not so that I can, in the Christian life, just worry about little old me, you know, which is a lot. There's this thing, and really it's, it's written into the, just the fabric of human nature. It's written into God's plan um, from the garden all the way to, um, um, you know, the return of Christ and how... We are propagating the gospel and how the people of God go on. And it's, it's, it's called generational passing. And it, it's not even necessarily a biblical concept. You can imprint who and whatever you are on somebody else. The question is, what are you imprinting on somebody else? 
What, um, what he's saying here is, is exposed a little bit more fully in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, just a couple more chapters. And this is called the Shema in the Hebrew. Um, and, and, and the Shema, you know, that, that's, that's very important, you know, for, for Jews. Um, you know, with Jesus, when he said, hey, you know, what's the most important? You know, and they're trying to trick him up. You know, Jesus refers to the Shema. And you've heard this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So there, there's the Shema, but it goes on. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So could God be making it any clearer to, to parents? I mean, this is true for all contexts of discipleship, but we're just talking about children right now. How central discipleship and teaching is to your job and task as a parent. He says, hey, when you wake up, you know what you should be doing? Hey, when you go to bed, you know what you should be doing? Hey, you know how often in a day you look at your own hand? Hey, imagine if something was hanging between your eyes. Imagine if you wrote the Word of God on the doorpost to your house. God is saying in all of life, to be a parent, if you fear the Lord, is to saturate your children in the truth of the Word of God. And that happens differently. I think there's a formal sense in which we do that and we teach that. But it's, it's, it's all of life. It's all of life in, in bringing about, talking about God in everything. And if that sounds you know, foreign to us, I think we need a radical lifestyle change. Because it can't be, it can't be well, they go to school, they study hard to get good grades so they can get into college, and they have sport life over here, and then they got their friends over here, and you know, they love watching TV, and there's the video games, and we'll sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in like on Sundays, or when we feel like it, we'll do maybe something at home, or we'll pray maybe periodically before meals. The, the word of the Lord would condemn that and say, no, it's got to be when you wake up and when you go to sleep, your conversation in the car, it's all about who is this God so that you can, you can inculcate the next generation. That's what that uh, word means in 6. When it says you shall teach them diligently, it's inculcate. And if that sounds like a big word, i got the definition. To teach and impress by frequent Repetitions and admonitions. Inculcate. I like what one writer says about that. He says, So much is this the case that the covenant recipient must impress the words of the covenant, of uh, the covenant faith, into the thinking of his children by inscribing them there with indelible sharpness and precision. The image is that of the engraver of a monument who takes hammer and chisel in hand and with painstaking care edges a text into the face of a solid slab of granite. The sheer labor of such a task is daunting indeed, but once done, the message is there to stay. God's made it really plain and clear what it looks like to fear Him and to pass it on to the next generation. We muddle it up. He says, you wake up, 
talk about me. Go to bed, you're talking about me. You see some billboard and it's got something inappropriate. inappropriate. Hey, let's talk about why Jesus doesn't approve of that. Some court ruling that doesn't please God. Hey, did you know this is what's happened in government? Let's talk about why it doesn't please God. Hey, do you know why we just gave um, you know, $5 to that man in the corner? Let me tell you why that made Jesus happy. Hey, let's, let's, let's open the Bible and read that together. Hey, no, let's not watch TV tonight. Let's read the Bible together. Friends, it's, it's, it's your choice what the church and even I would say the nation looks like tomorrow. And it's how you are choosing or not choosing to raise up a godly generation right now. And, and you know, don't get me wrong, I think there's just the common grace of children. Like, okay, we got a new baby. Babies smell, you know, like they got that new smell. Do I talk about this recently? Babies have that new smell. And then like Josie's funny. She just does things that are like hilarious. And like that's, that's a common grace, you know, like these are gifts. And Dawson had, he's like, he's in like real soccer this year. Like they expect him to know what they're doing. They got to play the field. And he made the game winning shot yesterday to break the tie. And he looked over at me when he did it. And he went, and I went, ah! And I left there like, I said, Jessica, I'm really surprised at myself that I acted like that. Like I went, like I got acting nuts. Because there's just the common grace of my six-year-old son like doing something cool, and that's wonderful. But can you hear me say it to you um, this, this evening that impressing upon your children the fear of the Lord, the gospel, and the way of Jesus, that's the greatest responsibility, responsibility and privilege you have. Okay? That's the greatest responsibility and privilege of parenthood is to impress the fear of the Lord, the gospel, and the way of Jesus on them. Right? Because kids are like mirrors. And when you see them, you're seeing yourself. Here's the thing though, children are at such a young age moldable. They're moldable. How are you molding them? You're molding them in one direction or another. Don't let the government mold them. Don't let the TV mold them. Don't let the culture mold them. You mold them. You mold them with the Word of God. It's funny, right as I was coming up to as our service Started. My dad had no idea that I was preaching this, but he texted me something. I thought, that's true and funny. If you raise your children, you can spoil your grandchildren, but if you spoil your children, you'll have to raise your grandkids. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, friends. It's, it's, there's, there's more and more blessing if you, if you raise your kids well, right? It's, you know, so I think that there's, there's truth in that, is when you, when you do the work, the, the farming, if you will, um, of, of raising up a harvest of righteousness in your children, there's a fruit of righteousness to come from them um, as they grow up and grow older. So the psalmist says this in Psalm um, 78, 4. He says, We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. So we're not going to hide it from them. So I want to ask you that question. I know not intentionally. I know you're not going home saying, I'm not teaching my kid about the Lord. But, but are you hiding the Scriptures? Are you hiding them through carelessness? Through carelessness. I want to again encourage you in the same way that we've talked about your own soul. Friends, it's time to take serious, and we're going to talk about this till Jesus comes back, taking... Um, discipleship in the home serious. Take it so serious. 
What's it, what's it going to mean and look like this season, this semester, for you to raise your children up to know the Lord? And I know that's different, like what it looks like with me and my you know, two to nine year old might like different if you've got teenagers. And I think even, you know, as a, a parents with adult children, I don't think we can ever, you know, stop trying to pour into our children. But just I want to ask you that. What is the thing you're going to be diligent in doing? So take advantage, those of you that have young children, of the moldability of these ages. Neglect worldly pursuits that distract from biblical instruction. Um, be engaged. Do you just live with your children or do you lead your children? It's a huge difference. Plan a devotional life. So we've talked about family worship for some time. I've kind of explained the simplicity of it. Get everybody together, sing one or two worship songs. You know, my kids, we do, Lord, I lift your name on high. I'm so tired of that song. But they love to sing it and we're just putting Scripture in their mouth. It was that one, and Josie knows it now, so when she hears it, she starts singing it, so it's fine. We'll do that one. And we do, we've started doing the catechism, and so we'll do a question a night. And we'll be on a question, and it might take us two, three weeks to get through that one question, because they can't remember the answer. That's fine. We're just we're still doing it, and we're praying, and we're building that habit, and we're building that rhythm in. Um, why have I sent out, I have to talk to some people, the, the, guide, the children's guide for family worship? I think some folks have thought that's like my passive-aggressive way to get you to shut your kid up because they're too loud. So read this thing. No, I mean, it's better when kids are quiet. But the thing is, um, when your children learn to value the public preaching of God's Word the way that they should as adults, you're only helping them at a much younger age benefit from it. So if they think their task in public worship is just to be as quiet as possible, we failed them. The goal is to hear what God wants to say. And if my six-year-old or your kid's showing up to say, hey, God has something to say to me today. Man, praise the Lord. that They know that and they believe that. That God's going to say something to them as a six, seven-year-old and I'm not just supposed to shut up and color. You know? And I understand some kids are so young, they're not there yet. But still, let's help them get there. So there's a relationship between those two things. Um, one more thing. I know that I've got a lot of points on this one, but pray and trust the Lord's goodness. So give your children to the Lord. Give your children to the Lord. Now again, I know that looks different in different stages of life, but daily, pray. Pray for the the soul of your child. Commit them to the Lord and trust God's goodness with your children. So if you want to see the future of the church and you want to see the future of the nation, look in your own home and ask yourself, how am I raising my children? Is it in the fear of the Lord or is it according to the way of man in the flesh? Okay. All right, last verse here. Deuteronomy chapter 4, um, verses um, 13 to 14. Moses says, And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. So there's a great grace, again, friends, um, when we obviously know we weren't at Mount Sinai, but the Spirit... And if you're saved, you know this. There's that moment, you know, when you, you and the Spirit know that God is a dreadful God. You know that you, you've crossed this God. You know you deserve His worst punishment. But then that wonderful flood of, 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 of the Gospel truth comes in. That Jesus took that. Friends, that's a grace. So walk in the fear of the Lord. Walk in holiness. It's a grace that God puts these little people in our home to live with us so we can, we can just... 
inculcate them. That's a grace. So let's be diligent in guarding our own souls and in guarding our children's souls as well. And you say, yeah, but Israel didn't. Israel didn't. They very much so threw that off and they were lost in exile. So how do I deal with what seems to be an unbearable burden to keep my own soul and honestly the crushing weight of diligently keeping my children? I would say to you and to myself this morning, your help comes from the Lord. And your mistakes as a parent and your failures in your own spiritual life, know that it doesn't depend on you, it depends on God. And the Lord is faithful that if we turn to Him for help, He will give help. Remember when Jesus' disciples, you know, they're talking about how hard it is for a rich person to get in? And all of a sudden it clicks for them like, man, who can get into heaven? And Jesus says, well, with man, what's He say? It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So friend, have, have the peace and the surety this morning that if you turn to Christ, Christ will keep you. If you surrender your children to the Lord, trust His promises that they will be kept too. So it doesn't mean I kick back and go, well, Jesus said if I turn to Him, everything will work out. No. Because Jesus said everything's going to work out, I'm excited by the power of the Spirit to labor in obedience and labor in holiness and labor in parenting because I know it's going to come to pass. I know it's going to come to pass. I know God's going to bring me and my children into the heavenly Canaan. I know that I'm going to be in the city of Jerusalem with Jesus forever because He said if I turned to Him, He would bring me home and my children. It says so in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Church, keep your soul. Keep your soul. The Lord, the Lord depends on Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You that though the way often seems difficult because it is and tough, we don't labor in our own power. We don't have to work to merit but we know that Jesus has already finished the work. And Lord, as we trust Him, we can know that even in our weakness, even in our low points, You are keeping us. So Lord, let our faith, let it, let it just well up inside of us to produce more love, to produce more fear, to produce obedience. God, as we think about our own individual lives, Lord, and all the just... Um, detours we've taken and all the times we've been just careless in the faith and all the times that we've failed, Lord, we know that those, those things don't define us. We're defined by the cross. We're defined by the blood of Jesus. And, and Your grace speaks so much louder. Your kindness and Your love are new every morning, Lord, and You are not keeping tabs on us and You are not ready to crush us, Lord. You're ready to, Lord, discipline us.
Keep us on the the straight and narrow, Lord. So we pray that. We pray that over our, our hearts and minds. We pray that over our church. We pray that over our children, Lord. We're trusting Your promise, Lord. That, Lord, surrendering them to You, You will keep them. And You will do a mighty work in their time to work through them to bring Your kingdom. So, Jesus, we just say we need You. Jesus, we say we need You. And that's our prayer. In Christ's name, amen.